Can you imagine being in a Sunday service without the presence of the Lord? Let alone going for seven long months without the presence of the Lord. Seven months of God's absence. Seven months of God's silence. Not a sign of him, not a word from him for seven months. Now that is a dilemma that we can ill afford as a church. And that is precisely the dilemma in which God's people found themselves, according to the passage that Matt read for us earlier. Due to their prolonged disobedience, God allowed the enemies, the Philistines, and what a powerful army that was, to come against them and to embarrass them with an embarrassing defeat. Not only did they defeat them, but they took the ark, that symbol that represented God's presence, they took away the ark from among them, but at the end of these seven months, the ark finally made its way back to Israel on a cart that was cow-drawn. And so this message, this morning's message is entitled, Ebenezer, Remembering Our Past, Embracing the Now. There's a verse in that passage that Matt just read, till now the Lord has helped us. Now, there's a coffee shop in town. I don't necessarily need to name it. By now, you know what the coffee shop's name is. I sometimes work, work from there. I don't work there. I work from there, sometimes on a Thursday morning. I'm told that that coffee shop sells just about the best coffee in Greenfield. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I've heard it said, and, I, and yes, they do sell good coffee. Their name is from an, an old English word that is seldom used anymore, uh, hitherto. And that word means till now or up to this point. In fact, if you read 1 Samuel chapter 1 verses, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12 in the King James Version, it would read like this. Then Samuel took a stone and called the name of it Ebenezer, for he said, hitherto, till now. Up to this point, the Lord has helped us. And so this morning, I want to say to us at Brown's Chapel that we owe our existence to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord. In the passage that Matt read for us, the spiritual leader of God's people, Samuel, he stood up and acknowledged God's help to his people. A spiritual leader often needs to challenge God's people to look back, to look in the rearview mirror long enough to acknowledge where God has brought us from. Because you see, where we are now is not where we began. I'm sure you acknowledge that. And where we are now is not where we've always been. In fact, as you look at the slide behind me, where we are now would never have been possible without the help of the Lord who has brought us a long way since the three-week revival in 1838 in Jackson Township, which led, a group, or led to a group of people meeting for worship in Wesley 
Williams's log cabin. That's a long time ago, 1838. Where we are now could not have been possible without the help of the Lord who has brought us a long way since that log cabin gave way to a new building in 1867. Thanks to a generous donation of a portion of land by Robert Smith and the dedication of that new building in 1868. Where we are now could not have been possible without the help of the Lord who has brought us a long way since Thomas Williams's challenge after a 1903 tornado destroyed the building. This was his challenge. Quote, I think we should build the church back first before touching our houses and our barns. Now, God forbid, but if there were a hurricane or, a well, you don't get hurricanes here, right? <laughs> Maybe I'm in the Virgin Islands. If, if a tornado destroyed this building, how many of us would be able to say unequivocally, let us build back this church before we build our houses, our businesses, and our barns? That's what Thomas Williams challenged our congregation to do way back then. Where we are now could not have been possible without the help of the Lord who has brought us a long way since the 1940s edition of a new classroom wing the 1967 remodeling of the entire building, and the 1997 expansion and remodeling project. Where we are now could not have been possible without the help of the Lord, who has brought us a long way since pastors like Powers, Hodel, Hilton, Howell, Baker, Klein, Van Meter, Dunn, Bradley, Kiesling, and T.G., cried out to the Lord from this pulpit, challenging us not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together before the Lord for prayer, for worship, discipleship, and fellowship. Challenging us to keep fighting against the things that stood in the way of our devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that there is one reason and one reason only why we've come these 175 years since slavery, the Civil War and Reconstruction, the Depression, World War II, the Cultural Revolution of the 1960s, the COVID-19 pandemic, and a mortgage payoff of over a million dollars. It is because hitherto the Lord has helped us. One reason only. I'm told that a famous author had an unusual picture hanging in his office. That, office. that picture in the office was of a turtle on top of a fence post. A turtle on top of a fence post. Why is that there, someone asked him. He responds, every time I write something significant, every time I read my words and think that they are wonderful, and every time I begin to feel proud of myself, I look at that turtle on top of the fence post and remember that he did not get there on his own. He had help. That is true of us as well. Rhonda must have peeked in my notes because I had, my, had right here that we would sing, Great is thy faithfulness. We would have stopped right here to sing that, but she beat me to the punch. <laughs> Great is God's faithfulness to us. We had help. And that's why we're here now. 
So secondly, we have a responsibility to assess the now. And so the question is that if the Lord has helped us until now, what is the significance of now? When we assess the now, what do we see in terms of our current reality? Now in his book, Leadership is an Art, Max Dupree says that the first job of a leader is to determine reality. In other words, what exists? His own reality and the reality of those that he leads. And that is precisely what we see Samuel doing in our text. He says, gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And the people all respond to Samuel's challenge, and they gather at Mizpah to do three things, our text tells us. First of all, they drew water from the well of their worship and poured it out before the Lord. Drawing water from the well was significant and, and representative of their worship. So they drew water from a well and they poured it out before the Lord. And that is indeed what our worship is to be. Drawing deep from the wellsprings within us and pouring out our worship before God in gratitude to him. Secondly, they fasted before the Lord. In other words, they denied themselves of comfort, of food, of entertainment, of whatever else was a distraction, and they were focused on being in God's presence because, you see, God's presence meant everything. And then thirdly, they confessed their sins to God, saying, we have sinned against the Lord. And as they're doing these three things, the Philistines heard that the people of God had gathered at Mizpah, and so they came upon them to attack them. But the people of God cried out to their leader, Samuel, do not stop crying out to God for us, asking him to save us from the hand of our, Philist of our enemies. And that's what Samuel does. He cries out to the Lord on their behalf, and the Lord answers him. How many of you heard that thunder this morning? Oh man, that was something else, all right? And we're told in this passage that God thundered with a mighty thunder from heaven. It threw the Philistines into a panic, and they were defeated before God's people. Now that was then. What about now? So now represents a specific time and place. For the people in our text, that time was then, and that place was Mizpah. But there are some timely comparisons between what Mizpah represented then and what BC or Brown's Chapel ought to be now. I believe that Mizpah, from our text, shows us that it represents a place of gathering. Three things happened when they gathered there, which I think must continue as we gather here. Mizpah was where God's people gathered to pour out their worship before God and to cry out to God in fasting and in prayer. Now, there must always be an intentionality about our worship. There must always be a purpose to our worship. In other words, we're not just gathering perfunctorily, we're not just gathering out of routine or out of obligation, but there is an intentionality and a purpose 
electoral gathering. We must continue to gather. Even as the statistics are telling us that church attendance is never going to be where it was pre-COVID. We need to defy that. We need to continue to gather. And when we gather, it must be to seek God, to cry out to God for the welfare of our church, for God to continue to pour out the oil of his anointing on our preaching of the gospel, to cry out to God to ask him to pour out his anointing on our spiritual leaders, for us to be empowered by his spirit, so that the gospel can continue to be preached with power to the saving of lost people. We must cry out to God to revive believers, those of us who are already saved, to revive us with his spirit. For God to make this church the place where at least 1% of the 40,000 unchurched people in Greenfield, they can't wait to come to because they hear that the presence of God is in this place. For God to bless our young, our church, I'm sorry, with more young adults and young adults with families. Now someone put it this way when she heard in their small group that one of our prayer needs was for godly young mates for our young men. She said this, and I quote her, we need to get creative with our new sign and announce Godly young women needed for our young men. <laughs> Inquire inside. I like that. Godly young women needed for our young men. Inquire inside. Wow, John, you got, you got your work cut out for you, man. <laughs> you you, you got to live up to that. <laughs> yes, so we need to be that place. Secondly, Mispa represents a place of watching. In fact, the name Mispa means watch post, watch post. It is where um, people would stand to watch for the enemy. I believe that Brown's Chapel must be a watch post against the postmodern cultural wave of gender dysphoria, transgenderism, and blatant disregard for sexual propriety that is sweeping our country as it did Europe. Against the tide of ungodliness that is coming against the church with all its ferocity, we have to be standing guard and watching. I believe that God is looking for a church that will stand in the gap and say, let us return to the old paths. The old paths of holiness and decency and propriety and godliness. So Mispa represents a place of watching. Mispa also represents a place of repenting. Now, nothing keeps the church of God from advancing like our lack of repentance of sin. These people gathered at Mispa and they said to Samuel, don't stop crying out to the Lord for us. Don't stop praying and seeking God on our behalf. But Samuel's prayers weren't enough because we see here later on that they too prayed a prayer of repentance. And their prayer was this, we have sinned against the Lord. We have sinned against the Lord. 
And so our church must be a place where we continue to humble ourselves before God, admit our sins to him, and seek his forgiveness. Fourthly and finally, Mispa represents a place of conquering. And what a conquering these children of Israel experience. Because you see, God fought for them. God fought for them. And when God is fighting for you, who can stand against him? Who can win against the Lord? He thundered with a mighty thunder against their enemies and he threw them into a state of panic and confusion so that God's people were able to strike them down. What's the principle there? It is this. When we gather to give God the water of our intentional worship, when we gather to cry out to God in fasting and prayer, when we are a watchpost against the devil's attack, when we come clean to God about our sin, that is when we see the power of God demonstrated in our church. And when God is fighting for us, who can fight against us and win? Here's our final point this morning, that we have an Ebenezer to raise. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, for he said, till now or hitherto has the Lord help us, helped us. So the question is this, if the Lord has helped us till now, why has he helped us to get to now? Is it for us to stay in the now? I don't think so. There's a future that God has in mind. Samuel took up a stone and he set it up and he called its name Ebenezer or the stone of the Lord's help. This stone would be a memorial to future generations that it was the Lord who helped them. I want to say to us this morning, I'm sure you agree with me, that the generations before us, they left us their Ebenezer. And their Ebenezer is this beautiful building in which we now worship. The challenge before us today is, what Ebenezer do we want to leave for future generations? So that they, when they look at it, they would be able to say, you know, because of his service, I am serving the Lord today. Because of her generosity to the church, I am in ministry today. Because they took the time to teach a Sunday school class or to volunteer in children's ministry or to serve on a worship team or to lead a Bible study, my life has been transformed by that. And so we have an Ebenezer to raise as a memorial to the next generation. Now, Lynn and I were having a conversation a couple of days ago. I called him to kind of get a, a, a history of some of the pastors who had served this congregation. And the list that we saw earlier was the list that he gave to me. But he said something to me that really changed my perspective the moment that I heard him say. He spoke of several people who used to attend Brown's Chapel, who have gone on to serve and are now serving in very prominent positions throughout the world. Some of them are serving as missionaries, professors, attorneys, university, pro university presidents, and you name it. 
the mistake that some of us sometimes make is this, myself included, is that we tend to measure our success in numbers. And so if the church is full to capacity, we are successful. And if there are only 30, we're not successful. Some tell us that, again, our numbers will never get back to where they were pre-COVID. But I don't find that success is about numbers where God is concerned. Now, yes, numbers are important. I would love to see this church full every Sunday. That would be, in some ways, a validation. But I don't think that we measure success in numbers. Yes, again, I'm not downing numbers. Our success is measured in our faithfulness. Our faithfulness to God. Are we continuing to do what God wants us to do? If we are, we are faithful. I believe that if we continue to gather for worship as God instructs us to, that is faithfulness. That is success. If we continue to gather for fasting and prayer, that is success. If we continue to be a watch post against evil, that is success. If we continue to humble ourselves and seek God in repentance, that is success. And if we remember how God has helped us in the past and we leverage that help to impact our community for God's glory, that is success. So let us be very um, encouraged to continue saying, hitherto has the Lord helped us. And let us leverage God's help to impact our generation today. Let us pause for a moment and pray. God, we are thankful. We're thankful. We remember with gratitude our history, where we have come from. And we all acknowledge this morning, Lord, that without your help, we would not have been here. We ask God that you would continue to bless this congregation, its leadership, its laity, our ministries. God, make us more effective than we have been in the past. Give us a harvest of souls that will flock to this building to seek you, be discipled, to even serve in ministry. We pray that the greatest years of our church will be yet ahead of us, for we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.